0: Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group. We're more than just radio.
1: Good morning and welcome back. This is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint here at WDEV in historic Waterbury, Vermont. Some great music just now with, uh, performers who are going to be at the Highland Center for the Art. A great, uh, concert coming up. Uh, you can get tickets by going to the website and, uh, it'll be an amazing night and feel good kind of night. Uh, so I look forward to attending. Want to, uh, go to my next guest. Uh, Bob Burke is the director of the, uh, Uh, Vermont Veterans Affairs, and uh, welcome to the show, Bob.
0: Good morning, Brad. How are you today?
1: I'm very well. Um, Thank you for being here, and thank you for your service and all you do. Well, thank you. I was looking at uh, a little bit of your bio, and uh, my brother was uh, in the Navy. He was VS-28 on the Saratoga many long years ago, and uh, they were out on the Med, I think, when he was assigned to it, and uh, he had quite a, quite an experience. Not a long Navy career like you, but he uh, he certainly had a good career. So yeah, that's great.
0: Thank thank him for his service.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly will. Um, I think once in a while he listens in. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your your military background and and sort of how you got into the military and if there were role models for that
0: sure so i'm a massachusetts maritime academy graduate um, and i commissioned out of there in 1984 Um, certainly had some some good mentors who were former navy Um, always always had a desire to serve Um, so i went in in 84 spent some time in active duty Flipped over to the reserves and then kind of back and forth for a number of years. And then in 2000, I did a voluntary recall. So I was actually made the senior officer at that point and I did a recall and went back in active duty and spent a number of years in different billets. Uh, I spent a, a year in Afghanistan from 2007 to 2008 doing counter IED work. And then my last tour was as a military professor at the Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. Wow.
1: Uh, a whole lot there. And I, I saw that you um, either did or, or um, instructed on diving and salvage. Were you actually a diver as well?
0: I was. So that's what I started off as. I started off doing diving and salvage and then uh, <clears throat> mixed into explosive ordnance management. So that was um, at the weapons station down in Charleston. We used to do the outloads uh, containers for the maritime prepositioning ships, and those went by rail down to Blunt Island in Florida and would get loaded onto the ships down there. We also did uh, Army prepositioning, which loaded right there in Charleston.
1: Wow. Uh, had you done any diving, or was this something the Navy taught you?
0: No, I had been certified as a scuba diver many years prior um, to, to actually going uh, into the military.
1: Uh huh. Um, and what were some of your diving experiences? I'm always fascinated by what's under the water. Was it anything that comes to mind that you, the unexpected or tense moments or?
0: Um, you know, sure. So uh, on leisure, I've done some some diving in some nice water and some cold and murky water. Um, and then with the Navy, um, you know, it's kind of like a busman's holiday, so I don't dive anymore. And, you know, I did a job, uh, a salvage job down in the Dominican Republic. I dove on, um, it was a a small passenger liner that actually used to take immigrants from Ellis Island over to the mainland. And when they were redoing that whole project in the late 80s, early 90s, the thought was to try and raise that. Um, So we dove on that, um, but it was just in too bad a shape to, to patch up and and bring up. Um, Other than that, it's, it's been a lot of just feeling around and getting work done underwater. I could probably weld underwater to save my life, but it's been a long time.
1: (laughs) Any, any treasure?
0: I have some uh, nice, um, very, very old um, prehistoric shark's teeth, which I found in race canal down in South Carolina. One of them, just I don't know, about four or five inches high and about the same wide. So you never know what you're going to find down there.
1: Yeah, well, it's uh, very interesting. Uh, we do. We thank you for all of that. The you're you are now uh, the day-to-day um, director of operations for the Veteran Affairs, and what I really appreciate, Bob, is the. You really know boots on the ground and uh you you've served overseas, you you've done all this, so it it gives you an ability to relate to your job directly and, and all of the we'll get into the serious things that veterans are facing nowadays. Uh so could you tell us a little bit about what veterans' affairs are, what what, what the service is and and then we'll get more into the detail.
0: Sure. So, as I always say, the, the office has three main lines of operation. So, the first is that we are there to determine eligibility for state uh, benefits, um, veterans' designation on your driver's license, different veteran-related registration plates, property tax exemption, there's uh, diplomas uh, if World War II Korean or Vietnam War era veterans left school uh, to join the military, and a number of other smaller uh, programs. You know, so total, we're about 41,000 or so veterans in the state. 65% are age 55 or older. So we're an aging veteran population. But uh, many, many uh, had done deployments from 2007 and 2010, and prior to that to Iraq and Afghanistan. So we have a number of uh, veterans and combat veterans uh, of a younger age in the state. The second thing that we do is we have veteran service officers who help veterans file claims with the federal VA under the Ven- veteran benefits administration and so they work them through the entire process. So we had four and then we've been down to two since June or July back up to three and we've got two that we're hoping to join us uh, in the very near future here. So we'll have a total of five, and then we
1: still have one vacancy.
0: And, and the last thing that
1: we do yep. – no, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Yeah, so the last thing, the third thing that we do is we operate the Veterans Cemetery down in Randolph Center, right behind BTC. And so this weekend on Saturday, the 16th, we have Wreaths Across America coming up, and that's a nationwide program in which we uh, place wreaths on veterans' graves and, you know, we say their name and we thank them for their service to, to honor them. And then we move on to the next. So if people are looking for something to do this coming Saturday, the 16th at noontime down on Furnish Road in Randolph Center, we'd be happy to have you.
1: The, uh, so will a wreath go on every grave in, in the cemetery?
0: That's our goal. We'll see. I think we're going to be very close to the to the full count that we need this year. And it's not only in Randolph Center. There's a, there's um, a small veteran cemetery down at the Veterans Home in Bennington, and there's a number in different towns um, around Vermont. I think this six total. Um, but again, I, I concentrate on the cemetery that I operate down in Randolph Center. So the, the goal is, you know, to get a donated. They're all donated. And this year, um, Shaw's not through reefs across America, but Shaw's is donating a thousand wreaths and those are going to be placed on Friday the 15th.
1: Wow, uh, this is this is a major operation really to to do that, perform that. Uh, I have been to the Veterans cemetery. I have a close friend who is uh, buried there and I had not been there until about three years or four years ago and, I was overwhelmed. Can can you give our listeners a little bit of a what, what it's like uh, to, to be there?
0: So it's it's a beautiful place. It's it's spectacular, the views and, and the way that we're able to, to maintain it or, or at least try to keep up with the with the grass mowing and such. We we have two full time people and then we rely on uh, seasonal temporary help for the rest of the year. And so it opened up in 93 and the chapel was built and then opened, I think it was in 96. And then from 2015 to 2019 or so, we did a $7 million expansion and we added another, I think, 1,840 uh, grave sites to make sure because our projection was that we were coming within a window of running out of space. Um, So we did that expansion and we're actually embarking um, on some other areas that we have right now to have them surveyed and then laid out for additional
1: space. It's quite amazing. And at the top, uh, if you go all the way up the road by these rows and rows of, of honor graves that are honoring our veterans, there's a building at the top. What, what is the function of the building at the top?
0: So that's the chapel. So it's a multi-denominational chapel and that's for certain sections on the newer side. So as you go down Furnace Road, you'll first see on the left, there's big stone gateways there. And so that enters you into the, um, the newer section, which I mentioned from 15, 2015 to 2019 or so. So that goes all the way up to the top to the chapel. And so for the sections on the newer side, we um, do all the services in the chapel and then we do the committal after that. Um, and that's basically the, the, the kind of standard we operate under the National Cemetery Administration, which is part of the federal VA. And so um, but we still in sections that are still available on the older side, we do um, complete some graveside um, committals. So it's 20 minutes for the committal, and then it's 10 minutes for military honors, um, unless it's a a non-veteran spouse, Um, and then it's just the the 30 minutes uh, for whatever service the the family wants to do.
1: We're talking with Robert Burke. He is the day-to-day operations uh, officer of the, the Veterans Affairs here in Vermont, and I was a little bit startled, Robert, Uh, 41,000 veterans in Vermont. That's very impressive. Uh, It's a a big segment of our population. I I didn't know that figure.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, we're we're a small state, so obviously our numbers are low, uh, and we, you know, strive to, you know, provide the services that we can. I mean, a lot of larger states, Texas, California, have, you know, numerous programs different locations health care psychiatric care it's you know etc specifically for veterans um, you know but we rely heavily on the White River Junction Medical Center and the community-based outreach um, outpatient uh, centers the clinics uh, the C box um, which are kind of scattered around the state
1: so the uh, the wreaths are going to be uh, um Put out on December sixteenth at the uh, at the Veterans uh, uh, Memorial site in in uh, Randolph. What what time does the event begin?
0: So the plan is to uh, kick off the event at noontime. At the well, we'll see what the weather does and, and how clean and clear it is. We typically like to do it, the kickoff event, uh, open the ceremony at the center of uh, the Circle of Flags. So as you drive down Furnish Road, and if you go, keep going straight, you're going to come right by the Circle of Flags. Um, now we're getting a whole lot more snow now, so it'll either be there or at the new Public Information Center. So if you take a left into that stone wall lined entry, uh, the circle of uh, the uh, – Public Information Center is just up on your right, so that was part of the construction, the recent construction, and then on the left is the maintenance building and the maintenance yard, so there will be parking there and parking along the road, Um, and it will be open um, as it is year-round on the newer side all the way up to the chapel.
1: Wow. We're talking uh, with Robert Burke of uh, the Office of Veterans Affairs. We have a caller on the line. I want to welcome Frank from Burlington. Good morning. About this weekend, are you looking for volunteers to place the wreaths on the cemeteries? I'm a veteran myself, and I'd love to do that.
0: Absolutely, Frank. We would be more than happy to have you come and help us distribute. So we're going to get um, 1,880, I think was the final count, and those got delivered last Friday. Um, and so we'll start placing them from the top, um, pre-placing pallets from the top by the chapel, all the way down on both sides, the older side and the newer side. So we'd love to have you join us. And that would, <clears throat> would that be at noon on Saturday or before that? No, that would be at noon. We'll kick it off with a with a welcoming ceremony, and then we'll walk around, snowshoe around, and place wreaths.
1: Okay, good. Sounds good. I I will put that on my calendar and hope to see you there. Awesome. Yeah, much Let's appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, Frank, and thanks for the call. And uh any veterans out there um who want to uh join in on that on this event, please do. But also, Bob, the the families, are are there gonna be families gathering at their loved ones memorial and sort of being in wait for the wreath to to come in line?
0: Absolutely. So we have a group kind of led by Susan Sweetser, who I think you had on. uh, Yeah. Or or I think she was on with Pat McDonald a couple of months ago. Yep. Um, So she's got a a crew of families and friends who uh, are are ready and raring to to get in there and not only to place the wreath, but then once the snow melts in April – we have to go out there and pick all those up, uh, and Casella has been a partner last year uh, in providing dumpsters uh, at a reduced price and, and helping us out, so we hope that that happens again in the spring when we have to go around and collect them all.
1: This, uh, so who are the um, good wreath fairies? Where, where do they all come from? Who's making them?
0: So my understanding, uh, the Wreaths the Across America program, so that's a, a nationwide program for all state, tribal, and national cemeteries. And I know that ours come out of Maine. Um, I don't know if that is the only hub, um, but I know that ours come out of Maine. And they're a simple, you know, evergreen wreath with a red bow on them. And as I said, we got 18, almost 1900 delivered last Friday. And we'll start to place those um, Saturday morning and be ready for noontime.
1: That is so remarkable. what a what a visual and what a, what a really uh, a great uh, memorial um, honor um, that you're doing for the veterans. We all of our listeners, uh, we all we all appreciate what you're doing. the In October, I had uh, John Turner on with the vets Town hall and um, John, talked about um the challenges that vets have uh coming back uh reacclimating uh to to society and, and to the world that they they left when they served is the, is this a, a direct part of the Office of Veteran Affairs in Vermont to assist in those parts of of, of sort of reentry
0: so we're, you know, we're, we're a small office, 10 people total covering the state. So we're kind of a clearinghouse to direct people to the right places for, you know, reintegration, reacclimation, you know, services that are out there. There's a lot um, available at White River and also the community-based uh, outpatient clinics. Um, and then just to kind of help them and, and guide them along the way, you um, you know, so years ago, you know, during World War II, you, you had a, a, a sea passage, you know, back. So you were a couple of weeks in kind of decompressing um, before, you know, you got back together uh, into your units and then uh, broke up after that. Um, you know, it's it's harder now, I think, because within a day or so from, <clears throat> you know, leaving a combat zone, you're, you're back in civilian life. you start, you know, if you're a reserve or a guard person, you're trying to, you know, get back to your civilian life and your family and your job and all of that. And, and it can be kind of overwhelming. Uh, you know, John is a, is a great person, um, you know, very caring, very understanding. And, you know, the veteran town halls, you know, help not only the veterans, but families um, express that, that frustration, anger, joy um, in what they did in their service and, you know, how they reacclimated and, and reentered in, into their civilian lives.
1: And so how do people reach you, uh, reach your organization? And, and I'll, I'll preface that by saying we don't want anyone to feel alone, Bob, right? We there There is sharing and there's help out there. How, how do they reach you? So
0: the office is, you know, directly across from the state house, in between the DMV and the Department of Agriculture there, uh, a little red building, two-story. Looks like, I tell people, it looks like a tornado picked it up and dropped it in the parking lot there. Apparently, it used to be further down the road on State Street, and at some point it was moved up there. So that's our, our main base um, of operation there. So they can come in, <clears throat> just knock on the door, and we'll let you in and, and help you. Or you can dial eight zero two eight two eight three three seven nine, and that's our main number. And we can we can help you to find resources, whether it's provided by us or provided by others.
1: And uh, there's there is a lot of resource in Vermont. So you. you you serve as sort of the guidepost for that to hear what they're asking and then get them where they need to go. Is that right?
0: That's correct. So we're, we're, you know, as I said, we're we're kind of a clearinghouse, and if we don't provide it in-house, right, we direct you to Josh's House or order services for veterans and families, um, Veterans Inc., Friends of Veterans, um, the Veterans Place, um, Veterans Home down in Bennington um, so that there are a lot of resources um, you know it it like any other bureaucracy it is sometimes hard to navigate but if you're persistent and you know you keep contact with you we can typically find you the services that, that you need
1: not only services but also financial resource right with programs
0: That's correct. So we have two in-house, and that's the the Veterans Emergency Fund. So that's a resource, and it's just like any other public assistance. You know, you kind of go through a spreadsheet of your bills and your income, et cetera. And then um, it's one time or several times, but the total over the lifetime is $500. And so it car repairs, so you can get back to work, it's helped with rent, it's helped with a fuel bill, Um, and so the way we do it is it's all third party, so if you need oil or propane, you know, we're going to write a check to you and to the oil propane company to help you out. The other one is the Vermont Veterans Fund, and that is to help organizations that work with veterans to provide services to them, so there's five different... (coughs) Um, ways to use the fund, long-term care, aid in homelessness, transportation services, veteran service programs, and to recognize veterans, right? So it's all veteran-related. And those are grants that are given out once a year, typically in the September timeframe. And so this past year we had, oh, boy, I think we had, well, over the years we've had anywhere from thirty to $90,000. Wow! All of that is all of that is by donation, either through your state income tax. It's one of the five or six
1: check we're, we're we're running out of time here, Bob. I'm sorry, but um, this uh, December 16th uh, at noon at the Veterans uh, Cemetery in Randolph, you can help put a wreath down and honor a veteran. Uh, I want to thank you, Bob, for being on, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing how the event goes.
0: Yeah, thanks for your time.
1: Thank you. Good morning and welcome back. This is Brad and your Monday host on Vermont Viewpoint. Hope you're having a safe day. The roads weren't too bad this morning. It was uh, driving from St. Albans. A little bit of uh, slush on the road pulling the car, but it wasn't as slippery as I anticipated the joy to the world was my daughter had school off she was anticipating that last night and hoping and hoping and uh, her prayers were answered uh so we've got an exciting uh last segment here uh we have uh with Green Mountain Solar the the president of Green Mountain Solar Paul LaSure Thanks for having me. Yeah, nice to have you. We've, we've talked a little bit about your business uh, in past shows, and we'll get more into that. And then uh, Peter Sterling with uh, Renewable Energy Vermont, or REV, as we often hear. So welcome, both of you. And we're going to be talking about... Uh, some of the uh, legislative work, the legislative working group on renewable energy standard reform. I look forward to hearing about mm-hmm. that. Want to start though uh, with you, Paul, a little bit more about uh, Green Mountain Solar and how you how you became involved in.
2: Yes, so I helped found the company seven years ago now, uh, seven and a half, going on eight actually. Wow. Um, and the goal of Green Mountain Solar is just to help more Vermonters, uh, take control of their energy. So we do solar, uh, batteries, heat pumps, all things to help people electrify their home. Um, but through solar and then net metering, what we're able to do is help people control a lot of those energy costs. You know, they're making an investment in their home and their energy use rather than just kind of, let's say, buying, you know, the power from the utility or an external source. Um, also by combining uh, solar and energy storage. We're providing them a lot of resilience, right? So we have power outages in parts of the state today, um, including some flickers on my road, but because I have battery backup, my lights stay on, which adds a sense of security. Um, and in more rural areas, uh, you know, a basics of life, Uh, you know, I can have my lights, I can have my fridge, I can have my well water. Um, so it's just a really nice thing to help Vermonters out. And, you know, that's our goal.
1: Getting them more towards a self-sufficiency of, of sorts.
2: Yep, self-sufficiency, more green energy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So is this not only uh, you started a business, it's an occupation, but is, it a, is there some personal passion here too?
2: Uh, yeah, there sure is. Uh, so I grew up in a really old house. Uh, it was leaky. <laughs> it was drafty. uh my end of the house, actually, the heating system didn't quite work. And at one point, there was actually ice in the toilet. Um, my best friend who lived three houses down, his dad had built a passive solar house with uh, not solar photovoltaic, but solar thermal on it. And I was just like, man, yeah. there is such a better way. And so kind of that's been my passion. And then I actually have a few grandfathers uh, who had come from the energy sector, one who uh, worked on the Manhattan Project, and then one, it turns out, I thought he was in oil, but uh, the company he was the treasurer for was actually the first company to import um, natural gas into the United States. Wow. Wow.
1: Uh, I can totally relate to the house. My daughter and I live in an 1850s uh, farmhouse that was brought across the ice by Oxen, where oh, I wow. live now. And uh, we're kind of like a... uh we're not a zoo per se. We do have sheep, which we planned on, but things in the wall that we hear occasionally are <laughs> unknown, maybe squirrels and mice and all that stuff, part of my life.
2: Yeah, I I live with that. So I'm in an 1840s farmhouse now um in Heinsburg. And one of my goals of that house is to take it completely net zero. So I've done the insulation work. I've swapped out some windows. We've gone from oil heat to heat pumps. We added the solar. We've added the batteries. The only fossil fuel left in my house is my cooktop. Wow. I'm still on a gas cooktop. Yeah. And
1: there's help with that financially too, right? Vermont has been very innovative about helping Vermonters help themselves.
2: Yeah. So there's a lot of different programs available, uh, some through your utilities, uh, some through Efficiency Vermont, and then some through the Inflation Reduction Act that happened federally last year. Um, so there's a whole range of incentives you can find out about, um, which we can help you with as a company. Efficiency Vermont can help you with. Uh, there's another organization, Rewiring America, that has a great online tool to tell you about incentives in your area to help you make the transition.
1: So Peter, um, Renewable Energy Vermont, uh, your executive director, w- what's the function of REV and, 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 your contribution to this whole
3: picture? Renewable Energy Vermont's the trade association representing all the hundreds of businesses like Paul's that work around Vermont to help Vermonters access renewable energy. So we go and we advocate and, uh, for changes to the law that helps, would help Vermonters get more renewable energy we also do a lot of public education go into schools and do public talks about you know answer people's questions about why should we have more wind why should we have more solar why should we have more hydropower things like that
1: mhm and um meeting the uh
3: there there is a Renewable energy goals, right? And you're part of... Right. So in 2015, Vermont passed a law saying 75% of all of our our state's power should be from renewables by 2032. 10% of that should come from in-state. We're in, pushing toward the end of 2023. We're the only state in New England in our power grid that has not updated those requirements. So we've, Rev has been working with a coalition of other groups to update that law so we could have more renewable energy. I mean, the bottom line is, is, you know, when Paul's out there and Green Mountain Solar and the team are out there talking to folks about Hey, put some solar on your roof and go charge your EV and, you know, go get a cold climate heat pump. It makes no sense to have that power come from burning oil or natural gas. Mm-hmm. If you're going to plug in your EV, it should come from renewable power like Paul's trying to do on his place. And, you know, right now, you know, when it's cold out, we get a bunch of our power. From fossil fuels, when it's really, really hot out, peak events, we get a lot of our power from po- fossil fuels. Up to 75% of New England's mix is natural gas during big heat waves. So we need more renewables. Rev's advocating for that both in-state and in the region because we want to do our part to stop uh, climate change.
1: The uh, Years ago, I worked with Edgar May, who was trying to make a uh – Uh, it's now the edgar may recreational center trying to make it totally green Mm -hmm. and he had put um part of what he did was the photovoltaic which i didn't know much about and i still don't is is that a big i don't hear much about photovoltaic is it is it a big part of the industry or
2: photovoltaic is yeah pv or solar so it is a one of the dominant sources in Vermont and that's because of the accessibility you know wind is a great resource you can put up you know one big tower and produce 2.2 megawatts but there's not as many options for it with photovoltaics what we're able to do is actually go out to your house uh, we have a tool called the Sun eye we can snap a picture to the skyline see exactly what your kind of solar access is there and then determine if that's a good resource for you so even here in Vermont you know, Through net metering and other programs, solar's a great option for people.
1: And so with the renewable energy standard reform, uh, Peter, what what are you looking what are some of the main things that you're looking for? The
3: the overarching goal is to get all of Vermont's utilities to commit to getting 100 percent of their power from renewables by 2030. And that you know would make Vermont one of the first states in the country to get all of their electricity from renewables and we can do it. We're pretty darn close now. We're on a good path, but the, the trick is going to be is you know, what renewables are, are going to be getting. And I think there's a legitimate conversation to be had amongst Vermonters. Should we just import it all from Hydro Quebec? Well, I don't think everyone's in love with that. Should we be putting more uh, solar panels on Vermont rooftops so we can generate more of our own, have greater resiliency, have greater energy independence, keep our energy dollars. Here in Vermont, you know, we think that makes a lot of sense, and that's part of the discussion happening in this working group. But ultimately, the goal is 100 percent renewable energy so that when you plug in your EV or you fire up that cold climate heat pump, it's not coming from coal or oil or natural gas. It's coming from renewables. So by
1: 2030, you said, Mm wow. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it sounds ambitious to me, but doable.
3: It is. It is. I mean, certain, you know, it's, it, it's ambitious, but it's very doable. I mean, we have a lot of power coming online from renewables in this region already. I mean, we have a lot of solar. There's a lot of big wind in Maine. In theory, there's going to be offshore wind coming off the coast of Maine, New Hampshire, um, Massachusetts. We can import that kind of thing. It's not all about what's happening right here in Vermont, though I got to reiterate, we really do need – to have renewables here in Vermont because it helps make us more resilient and really importantly, we need to own the consequences of our choice to need electricity. We should not be asking people in other states, other countries to live next to all the energy generation that we want. We should be owning some of that. So you know, I think we're on a good place. We have some utilities that are doing some pretty good work already. You know, Burlington Electric Department is already 100% renewable. You know, we're at, we're asking them to commit to more renewable energy as well. Green Mountain Power is on, you know, is we're working with them. So these utilities get it. They are slowly trying to do the right thing, but I feel like we can get Vermont to a good place on renewables real soon and, and help our economy here. Is there an overarching
1: goal as well to role model this behavior to the world? Is that part of it?
2: Either of you? (laughs) I mean, I would say somewhat of course, right? Uh, So we have an existential threat with climate change. Yeah. And we need leaders in that. So wherever you have a state who is willing to take that on and, you know, someone who – we're the Green Mountain State, right? It's the neighbor of our mountain range, but we pride ourselves on sustainability, localism, and all that. So if we can show on our small scale that this is done, I think that helps show to all of our surrounding neighbors, whether it's, you know, other smaller states like New Hampshire or larger states like Massachusetts, New York, or even the Californias that – you know, here's a case study on how to get to 100% renewable. Now now you do it. Follow our map. And and I got to add, though, the one reason this is doable
3: is the price of wind and solar has been coming down over the last 20 years significantly. If you had asked me in 1980, could this be done? Or 1990, I'd be like, oh, that doesn't sound possible. The technology is not there. The advancements in the equipment aren't there. But this is 2023, and we are seeing the price of wind and solar, you know, before the pandemic and stuff like, you know, supply issues. But generally, the price is dropping so much, I believe, well, let me say it like this. We know for a fact that putting up new wind and solar is actually cheaper than building a new natural gas plant now. And that is incredibly significant.
1: Very significant. We're talking with uh, Green Mountain Solar President Paul LeSure and uh, Renewable Energy Vermont, uh, Peter Sterling. I was really taken by what you were saying, Peter, the price coming down. And, you know, years back, I remember being in the periphery and looking at that and going, wow, you know, we're making a change. But it's kind of an expensive change. And yet, is it by
3: volume?
1: Are you just are things getting produced more? More consumers, more
3: more buying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot more production of solar worldwide, and that's increased production, which has brought down the price. I'll also say a game changer, I think, or potentially game changing, would be the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. President Biden signed that into law in August of 2022, which gave a ton of incentives to not only individuals to go out and buy stuff and go solar and get heat pumps and that, but also gave incentives to businesses to produce solar panels, all the parts, the batteries, all in America. So this domestic production has really ramped up, and that's really exciting to be able to, you know, not have to import things from China and Southeast Asia, be having, you know, Americans building the stuff that we're going to use for our energy independence. And it was sort of a cultural shift, I assume, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think everyone recognized that climate change is here, or most leaders do, and something has to be done. And if we are going to end our dependence on foreign oil and natural gas and things like that, we might as well be building that stuff here and not relying on China to build it and ship it to us. So um,
1: I see, Paul, um, now that I've had Green Mountain Solar on my show, uh, I see your trucks all over the place. <laughs> They're just appearing on the interstate. Did you do that just for me, or they, had they been there, actually?
2: <laughs> They'd been there. We get around. Yeah. Uh, we serve, uh, I don't know the exact number, but between four and 500 customers a year, probably. Uh, maybe we're north of that with some of GMP's battery programs now. So uh, our trucks are crisscrossing the state just trying to get more s- solar and batteries and heat pumps out there. So. I am an example
1: of somebody who hasn't come into the new world yet, I guess <laughs> uh for various reasons. I just, you know, we're, we do day to day stuff, but we haven't really gotten things going in our own farmhouse, which sounds like we share sort of that, that. So what happens? I make a call and does somebody come and help me And and they look at my situation?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, People will call us all the time and, you know, you usually have some intent. You're like, hey, I'm thinking about solar. I'm thinking about energy storage. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the opportunities so we can look you up right on Google Maps, figure out where you are and start to do an initial assessment of like, okay, are you in a little hole in the woods where we can't even see your house because of the trees or a nice big wide open field? And then we can discuss, are you thinking roof mounts, ground mounts, uh, again, our energy storage? We'll then, once we have that idea, have you send us a copy of your electric bill so we kind of know what our baseline we're working from is, and then we'll have someone come out to your house. From there, they can do a full assessment. So looking at ground mount locations, measuring out your roof, taking those solar access readings like I talked about before, and really coming up with a good action plan and proposal of what it would take for you to go solar.
1: Awesome. Um, Peter, the Vermont has a comprehensive energy plan and goals. Are we, are we, is this sort of what you're trying to do now with,
3: with the reform here? Is this helping that as well? Yeah. Vermont has goals that were passed by the legislature through the Global Warming Solutions Act. I think it's to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions 90% by 2050. Certainly when we can clean up the electric sector you know, get it off of fossil fuels, that will help toward goals. I mean, the other goals we do need to achieve are, you know, getting decreasing greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector, meaning getting people out of gas-burning cars into EVs and the subsidies to help low-income Vermonters do that. Then the other way to meet our greenhouse gas goals would be through the thermal sector, meaning helping people weatherize their house, helping people stop, you know, replace that oil furnace with electric coal-climate heat pumps, which then are runoff renewables, so we're not burning fossil fuels that way. So this will sound like a funny question, but our
1: old farmhouse, maybe yours uh, as well, Paul. We have—I'm pretty sure we have a little bat population in the, in the attic. Uh, is does that get taken into consideration when when you're doing it, sort of environmental changes for homes?
2: Yeah, you know, as much as we'd like to say there's one switch to flip to fix it all, it's multiple small steps to get there. So you know. In addition to going solar or looking at batteries, you should look at the thermal envelope of your house, kind of like Peter was hinting at. Um, you know, how, how insulated is your basement? How insulated is your attic? Do you have leaky windows? Um, as much as I'm a solar guy and I would love to sell additional panels, the most efficient and greenest use of energy is the ones we that we don't use. So if you can do those little energy efficiency measures along the way, that's going to make a big difference. And that's something I've done with my house, right? I started in my house. It was a drafty old farmhouse. We got an energy audit, which we had set up through Efficiency Vermont and one of their contractors. And then we just started slowly working through the process of doing air sealing and then doing windows and then spray foaming our basement and then redoing our attic. And it's been a 13-year process. But through that, I went from a house that had significant energy use to something that's actually pretty tight. And it was all in kind of bite-sized, manageable steps.
1: You, you're using the approach of the, that old Christmas movie where you didn't have it in your department store, but you said, you can get this over there and it'll help you too. So,
2: <laughs> Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I just want to help Vermont transition to a, a cleaner, yeah. more resilient energy future. So whether it's Through my company or through all like our compatriots in the industry, I I don't care that much. I I would just love to see us make that move.
1: Sounds great, and and developing an energy um, plan or process for each home, I guess, and and helping them get there. Exactly what what I'm hearing. The you, you had mentioned earlier, Peter, about, um, Hydro Quebec, which is a big part of Vermont's portfolio. Is there still, uh, um, hydro available in Vermont to tap
3: into or is that? No, we've pretty much tapped every river. Yeah. That's going to happen and there's really no appetite for any new flooding in Vermont. Like no one's going to propose that. No. So we've got all the hydro. I mean, some of the dams could maybe be, you know, repurposed, meaning like the turbines could be upgraded to be more efficient and produce more power. But no new dams are happening in Vermont. Yep. Um, so Paul, on the uh, your products,
1: what what are what are people getting the most? What are they most excited about right now?
2: goodness. So solar is obviously our number one, hence the name green mountain solar. Yeah. Um, a very close number two these days is energy storage or batteries. Uh, we have seen a massive uptick over the last year a marketing person was telling me uh, recently uh, about 300% and that was due to having a large power outage right around this time last year for over christmas for some i remember <laughs> um, then obviously the unprecedented flooding knocked a bunch of people out so i think it's really top of mind it, how do they get that energy resilience and then how do they also you know do that in the face of climate change you know we have these um, unprecedented factors hitting us largely related to climate change so as a generator could be great for some but a battery is a little bit cleaner and greener in a lot of other people's minds and the way to go
1: yeah and we only have about a minute more but i will say that the batteries really were a necessary part of answering the 24 7 demand or need right
3: yeah
2: they sure are and the, one of the great things is, too, the batteries can be very grid interactive, whether through a utility program or time of use modes and self-consumption. So we can do a lot those days to really help people have resilience but improve the grid.
1: Yeah. So um, we've got some – sounds like some – achievable energy goals here. Uh Peter, you you probably want public's help in Montpelier to advocate for this.
3: Yeah, always um you can always contact me at Rev to figure out how you can get involved in helping me helping Vermont transition to 100% renewable energy. Just look us up at the Renewable Energy Vermont website. Really appreciate it and thanks for having us on today.
1: Yeah, great having both you Paul Fisher who's green uh president of Green Mountain Solar, Peter Sterling, Renewable Energy Vermont and uh A greener, cleaner future, right?
2: Yep. Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks for being here.